Let's be honest, planner referrals are a necessity if you want to move up in the wedding industry. Not only do they recommend clients, but they typically pay more and offer super interesting projects. But how do you get on a planner's list in the first place? In this episode of Own Your Business, I sit down with Shannon Leahy, one of the most respected and decorated planners in the industry, to dive deep into how different planners refer vendors to their clients, how that information is shared with couples, important criteria planners consider before making a recommendation, what you can do to get a foot in the door with planners like Shannon, and how to lose your spot on a planner's list. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Shannon, thanks so much for sitting down and doing this conversation with me. I appreciate it. We met in France in a very stressful situation, and I can't help but laugh every time I look back on that. It's so funny. Um, You and I met at a workshop, a photographer's workshop. I was the planner designer. You were the business expert coming in to coach the photographers. So many wonderful things have come out of that conference for both of us, I think, including meeting each other for sure. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very welcome. Very welcome. You know, obviously people are tuning into the podcast because it's something that I host regularly and many people know that my background and all of that, but they don't know much about your background. Maybe I'd love for you to give just a quick little overview of, you know, what you do and what your company does and maybe even a little bit of background on where you started and and how you kind of moved into where you're at right now. For sure. So I am a event planner and designer. My company is called Shannon Leahy Events and our headquarters are in San Francisco. Um, Though we work all over the world and we have an office in LA and an office in Maryland, which is where I spend most of my time residing with my family. We specialize mostly in weddings, uh, but we do other kinds of social events as well. Our company is a little bit unique in that we do full service design, floral in-house, in addition to the planning and coordination side. And I have a team of wonderful, amazingly talented and experienced women. We'd love to get a man one day. It's all women right now who lead their own projects and design their own projects with with my oversight and my um, partner, Elisa's oversight. And we do um, 25 to 30 weddings a year as a company, in addition to all of the social events. We are definitely on the high end of the market. Our wedding budgets, I think I can share that here, typically start at 250, 300,000 and go up to 3 million. My background's in floral design and nonprofit event planning. That's what I did before I started my company. And back when I started, planners were coordinators and florists were designers. And it was very, and they partnered together. And when I started my company in 2009, at least that's how it was in San Francisco at the time. The thing that I wanted to do was bring the two together with my background in design, with my mother being an interior designer. I wanted to add the logistics component and have it feel very cohesive. And at the time, I was the only one really doing that in the Bay Area. And that was a big differentiator for me and a big selling point. And that was kind of how I grew my company back then and still do. So yeah, Yeah. that's a little overview. That's great. And um, I I will tell for those of you who don't know Shannon very well, um, she's very humble. Uh, she's very humble in her um, explanation of uh, what it is that she does and uh, the companies and clients that she works with and the kind of success that they have had. Um, Shannon is one of the best in the business. And that's why I wanted to bring you on, Shannon, because not only do you have success with the design work that you do, both floral and, and planning experiences for your clients, but I really respect the hell out of you as a business owner. You have a sharp mind. And I could tell from the first time that we were on that 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 fateful drive from from Paris out to uh, to to the chateau and and you were in the front driving and I was in the very, very back surrounded by suitcases and and barely able to see anything. But we were having this conversation with like six people in the middle 
you and I, we couldn't stop talking. You kept asking questions and I kept, I kept answering them and you'd say, wow, I have another question or what do you think about this? And I think that your insight on not just how to design parties, but how to operate a business is really helpful for people. And that's, that's what I want to focus on today in our conversation is how do you recommend other people who are not planners or designers look at working with planners and designers at your caliber so that you feel comfortable working with them and confident that they're going to be able to meet the highest expectations that your clients have. And, and so I'd love to jump in and hear a little bit more about what you do when you refer vendors to your clients, you know, what's going through your head, how does the process work? And then let's unpack it a little bit. Awesome. Thank you for that. Very kind. Um, those kind sentiments. That's makes me smile. Thank you. Um, when a new project comes in and is assigned a planner on my team, one of the first things we do is we kind of sit down as a group and we go, who's going to be great for this project? Who should we think of for entertainment? Who should we think of for photography? Um, kind of going through all the categories, who's new, who's cool, who's a good fit. And so it's a little bit of a team brainstorm in terms of coming up with those initial names. And uh, I actually, a friend of mine, Tracy Taylor Ward, and I have a podcast called Wedded the Wedding Planner Podcast as well. We have a whole episode on um, how to get those referrals as well, which people can go listen to if they want to hear more about ways you can get yourself in front of planners. And we can talk about that today too, for sure. But one of the key things when we're coming up with who to recommend, and I'm embarrassed to say this, is literally who we've thought of or seen or connected with lately, who's like at the top of our mind. We do have an extensive list that we consult, especially if we're stuck on a project. But when our clients have a great budget, we're kind of like, who are we thinking of right now? So it's always wonderful to stay top of mind with people that you have relationships with, especially if you haven't worked with them in a few years keeping in touch is a huge help in terms of getting on those lists and being referred. So, so we sit down and then we reach out to the vendor. We gather pricing from them. We typically send them exactly what we're looking for as at least a starting point. So we can compare people apples to apples since in some vendor categories, packages and pricing can be so different. We want to kind of streamline it so our clients can sort of compare easily. And it depends on the vendor category, how many we're referring if it's caterer, it might be one who might be like, this is a caterer for you. This is the best person, or maybe two. If it's a photographer, it might be three or four, or even five, potentially, usually not. Usually it's three or four. I will say we've played as a team with when we're packaging this information up and sending it to the clients. Sometimes we don't send pricing at all. We just send like, here are your three photographer choices. They're all within the budget range we've quoted you. Who do you like? Because it's interesting to see who people pick when price isn't part of the conversation. Sometimes it's surprising the low person or it's the high person. And then we later come back and say, here's the pricing. Um, sometimes we send the pricing over right away. So I don't know. We've kind of gone back and forth on that, but it is an interesting psychological thing. It's like, it's like doing a blind tasting with wine, right? Where you just fill up the three glasses and you just you know go through and taste them and rate them without knowing the packaging or the provider or the price point where we as humans tend to pick up subtle little clues to make decisions about how good something is or not good something is. I think that's interesting. I'd love to hear more about what this experiment, you know, shows up over several months. I, I imagine you'll collect some data that'll actually have some trends in it and be meaningful. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's hard for a vendor to sell through a planner sometimes because while we're sending over their website a short sentence or two about why we love them, you know, maybe an example, whether it's some sound clips or galleries or whatever, um, it's rare that our clients speak to really any of the vendors that we're referring ever, frankly, let alone speak to all three of them so they can explain their unique differentiators. And that does definitely put the vendor in a hard, in a hard place when it comes to selling, but our clients hire us because they want us to kind of sort through the noise. They have limited time. They want to hear who we think they want to make a quick decision. They want to move on with their life. They don't want to spend three hours on the phone judging three different vendors. That's why they hired us. Yeah. You know, I hear over and over again from 
downstream vendors, anybody who's, you know, after you in the decision-making process for your clients, I wish I could just get the planner to let me talk with them, right? And you hear this over and over again, I'm sure, whether it's directly to you or indirectly, like, what do I got to do to get a seat at the table to have a conversation with them? And you're like, sorry, it's not happening. And, and that's just the reality of the situation. And so that's, I think it's great to talk about that up front. Uh, at least on this episode that we're doing right now, and also to kind of dig into, okay, now that we accept that as reality, right? I think about like the the Rumi quote of, um, you know, uh, when I was younger and I was clever, I thought that I could change the world. And now that I'm older and wiser, I, I, I basically accept reality as it is and don't do that anymore. I accept it. And so I think that downstream vendors, photographers, videographers, floral designers, Although they probably do get a conversation with them if they're doing some prototyping beforehand, but but the majority of the vendors aren't going to get a chance to talk with your clients, and so you got to accept that, move on, and still find a way to sell. You still got to find a way to put forth the most compelling case when all of the apples look the same. Why choose you? And I want to hear some of your thoughts on that as we as we carry on the conversation. But I want to go back to I want to go back to something that you that you just mentioned that you take the information about who you're going to recommend and then you share it with the client i'm curious walk me through where do you get the information from vendors and what are you sharing with your clients what specifically are you sharing with them yeah we always go back to our vendors before quoting any prices even if they quoted me a price last week i'm still going to go back to them to see if that's changed because everything is so in flux and every project's different A lot of people send over these beautiful, lengthy packages with photos and 10 pages long. Often we're not sending that because I find that if you receive three of those, it can be really overwhelming. And there's so many differences like this includes albums and this doesn't. And then they just get in the weeds. Some of our clients like to be in the weeds. So every now and then we will send it because I know what they like and don't like. Most of them we don't. That's just coming to our eyes only. In the beginning. Now, after they pick that top person, then we might send over the full boat so they can like piece through and maybe change the initial package that we outlined. But again, like the disadvantage to a vendor is I'm sort of stopping their ability to upsell, which is also unfortunate. But I also have my budget to keep my eye on. And I, this is what we budgeted. So you can sell your albums and your bridal portraits later you know it's 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 tough for vendors it is yeah uh, just a quick note shannon's very delicate and tactful in the way that she phrases things i am not as much don't blow the budget for the planner who sends you business <laughs> before you get too far into even upselling after the fact don't go in guns blazing I'm a vendor for that. That's the client's fault also. Like I presented you something in budget. You went rogue. Now that's that you're on your own over there. <laughs> but don't, t- but don't take from the paper goods budget or the floral budget or the catering <laughs> budget, right? Like if you want to spend more money, that's great, but don't cut up some other yeah. piece of the pie smaller. <laughs> and, th- and this is, I think one of the things that is so important with the planner and refer a relationship is to remember as the person who is working on the the planner's team your job is to be deferential your job is to fill a role in the vision that the planner has and you've you you're like you're auditioning for that role there are things that, that need to be done. There's some creativity that can be put in and that's what the planner wants, but you don't go into somebody else's role. You don't make up your own lines. You don't do things that are too off script. Otherwise, it's going to get hard to get a callback for the next one because as a director of that, that performance that is being created, I think it's really hard to know who you can trust if they're going to go rogue when lights are on. Totally. And I think what's important in that distinction is if you're a florist or a caterer or a cake vendor and you're creating a custom proposal for a planner, please bring your best ideas, bring your upsells, bring your, we could do this and it would be amazing to the planner. Absolutely. Like I want to see your creativity, your passion and your, and your ideas that shows me that you're excited about the job. That's a huge way for me to sell you. I think the trouble comes in when you do that in a meeting with the client in front of the planner and then you go rogue, 
then you might be putting the planner in a difficult situation. But don't feel like you have to just only do what the planner asks when you're just submitting the initial proposal to the planner. Or you could even just ask, hey, I have some other ideas. Is it okay if I include those too? So, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a great distinction, Shannon. It's, um, you know, you're hiring these people because they're great and, and you want them to be creative and expressive and to do something new and amazing. That's why you bring them onto the team. But the key is don't go rogue with the client. And that's one of the reasons, right, that you, you're like a gatekeeper to the client because it could just be one little misstep with the client that throws everything out of whack or, you know, makes your job more difficult. And so um, just, you know, if you're listening to this as a downstream vendor from a planner who's getting referrals, make sure that you're, you're remembering that, yes, you have a short-term commitment to this client, but you also have a longer-term commitment if you want to get more referral business to this repeat client of yours, the planner, who is going to, you know, refer you more business, essentially buy your services on recommendation to the client. So it's a it's it's a double-edged sword. You know, creativity can go both ways. It can it can cut in a good way and cut in a bad way um, that that burns bridges uh, or or cuts off bridges um, that that you won't be able to go through. Honestly, one of the reasons that we do all our decor and floral in house because you you know, as a designer, you have a vision for the event. If you have a florist going directly to the client with a different vision, it can throw the whole thing off. So yeah, that's one of the, we're so tight about what our vision is. And that's one of the ways we control it because <laughs> we've had yeah. that happen before. It, it is, you know? And, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of different metaphors, quarterback, conductor, director, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, but essentially you have a vision and everybody's got a spot in that, the production of that vision. And, and make it better for sure too. Mm -hmm. You know, my lighting guys come to me and they make my ideas so much better. And I rely on them for that, but they only have a relationship with me. So they're not ever putting me in that position in front of the client because they never meet the client. Right. So when we go through and think about then, you know, you're sharing information. I want to just highlight something here for people who are listening. While Shannon, as a planner or any planner, is giving this information to the client, here's an apple to look at, a package. We got to know that the client isn't stopping there. The client is going to look online. They're going to ask their friends. They're going to check out your website. They're going to go to your social. They're going to look at reviews. They're, doing the, they're conducting their own research outside of the information that you share. One of the things that I hear from luxury providers who are downstream, photographers, floral designers, paper goods providers, what you name it, is that they say, well, I get all of my business through planners. And so I don't know if I really need to have that much on my website because it doesn't help me get more inquiries. Is Shannon shaking her head? Y'all can't see Absolutely. this because we're on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Go ahead. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh my God. Yeah. Your website's still super important. Now there's a certain type of um, vendor who has exclusivity as part of their brand where their website is a placeholder page and they work through planners and that can be okay too, if that's your vibe. So that's one way you could do it. You, it's a kind of one or the other, or you have to have an awesome website. There's no in between. <laughs> you can't just have kind of a crappy website because nobody checks it. Absolutely. Our clients are still checking websites and looking at that and making judgments off of that, even though we're sending them a referral. So yeah, it's kind of one or the other. Yeah, you know, the first type that you described, uh, it pulls on a behavioral science principle called the velvet rope effect, which is like, you know, you're, you're driving down the street and you see a line going out the door of some restaurant and you're like, wow, that place must be really popular. There's a big line going in. And then you get like if you were there in line, like you finally get in past the host station and you realize that half the restaurant's empty. It's 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 just building demand using the herd effect. And so that exclusivity that you talked about, it's like the the restaurant that has no sign above the door and you have to like knock secretly and like know the password and somebody opens up the slider and you're like the password and then they let you in and it's super exclusive because they th that's what they're selling. And th that is the first type of approach. I, and I see a lot of wedding pros who are in entry-level or mid-level luxury that are trying to establish their foothold and they look at their mentors, people who truly only takes six or eight events a year who do have that velvet rope approach. And they tend to mimic that, but it doesn't do them any favors because they don't have enough demand on their services yet to turn people away left and right. Like you said, there's no middle ground. You either got to go all in with one or the other. 
And you got to be real careful if you're going to use that that minimalist approach, that exclusivity to the point where you, you might end up shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's a very specific direction for a very specific person that has a very specific clientele. And it's all word of mouth. And it, maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's a segment of the population. Um, like, you know, I can think of one event planner who did all the tech weddings. And it was like, uh, I think their website, they're not in business anymore. Maybe this is part of the reason, but their website didn't have an inquiry form. It was like word of mouth only. Like you had to know someone to get even in touch with them. Maybe it's not the best strategy <laughs> considering they're no longer in business. <laughs> well, and, and I think, and I think, you know, for most people more, you know, more, if you're going to spend like, let's say you're a photographer, we have a lot of photographers who listen to the podcast. Let's say you're a photographer and you're charging 12,000 to $18,000 for your services. I don't know anybody who's got a million dollar budget or a million dollars in the bank that's like, you know what, I'm going to spend $15,000 on something and I want less information to make that decision. Most of the time, people are, are looking for more information. And and so so while, while you may attract some sort of intrigue or inquiry by having you know less information, having more information that helps because the planner is not going to give, the planner is not going to sell for you. The planner is not going to make your pitch for you. The planner is going to provide the information that the client needs to make a decision. And your job is to figure out a way without being in the room, without being on the phone, without doing a Zoom to present your services in such a way that you can stand apart and, and look better than the other people that you're competing against. Yeah. And if you're a vendor who's writing a custom proposal, we ha we're doing a wedding in Charleston. We reached out to two caterers. Um, the client had some pretty specific requests. Actually, this is cool. Maybe I shouldn't give it away on the podcast. They want to have lobster rolls as their entree. It's a black tie wedding. I thought that was kind of fun. So anyway, there are some unique demands. And one caterer sent us like a pretty, you know, great proposal, great company, kind of just solid. And the other caterer went out of their way to brainstorm a ton of ideas and just throw out and sent us this very long cover letter that just showed me that they put so much thought into it. I mean, what an easy way to go above and beyond. I definitely want to work with the person who is putting that amount of thought into it. And that is hard. That is one of the hard things about being a caterer or a florist or someone that has to write these really long custom proposals and they don't even have the job yet. I think about them all the time when, you know, I hear other planners complaining, I wrote a contract and I'm like, that took you five minutes. Think of these florists who, you know, design an entire wedding before they even land the job. I have been a caterer for eight years and worked for a floral designer for two years. So I know how painful that is, but it's just part of the, it's part of the gig. It's what you do. And it's just, yourself apart. that's how you can show your value. You, you know, your website still counts, but that's a really great way for you to set yourself apart. Yeah. And that's I think that you, I think it's great to use that, that phrase of showing your value. A lot of times uh, we forget that it's not just our portfolio that people are looking at. We have to show the value in more ways than the awards that we've won or the images that we have to share and showcase our our, um, our work that we've done in the past. And I think the underlying principle here is that what you demonstrate in the buying experience for that client is what they expect to receive as a client of yours. And so the moment that somebody lands on your website or inquires for your services, and, and everything that happens after that is an indicator of what they expect to receive as far as the level of service. And so if you are in the luxury space or hoping to get into the premium or luxury space and not providing a personalized, custom, high touch experience, it is not going to be very appealing to the people who are there. If you are just showing, you know, a, a PDF and pray, I'm going to send out my PDF and pray that somebody buys my services and everything's generic, nothing is personalized or customized. It's going to be really hard to stand out when you're in front of the different people who are able to produce something so much better. And you can do this in any vendor category. It's really just about showing that you're listening. Like if you're a photographer and I tell you I have an Indian wedding or I tell you I have a church wedding and you send me galleries of Indian weddings or church weddings that you've done that are speaking to what this wedding is, like everyone should be doing that. That's wonderful. I can, the clients have, as a planner, I, I can like judge someone's talent based on their portfolio a little better, but the clients don't really have an eye for this yet. So if you show them something that looks like them, that goes a really long way. 
Yeah, and I think that's a great point you bring up. You know the differences, the nuances between one set of images, whether you're a photographer or videographer or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's what you're showcasing. It's your portfolio of work. Whatever you're showcasing, you can talk about and articulate the differences, pick up on them and explain them to people. But the couple and their parents or other people who are making decisions, they need something that's much clearer and easier to identify than a subtle nuance in the angle or the light or what it is that that you have in your portfolio compared to somebody else. Awards are the same thing. Like whether or not you're on, say, the Martha Stewart list or the Harper's list or the Bride's list, like you may know that one is very different than the other, but your clients just see that you won an award and you're a top whatever it is that you do. And so we just can't rely on the client to know anything. We have to make it abundantly clear in how we communicate our value. And, and that's got to be done again in, in more ways than just sharing your, your package and your pricing. You've got to make the whole, the whole uh, effect. I, I had a client this year that just loves color, loves color. We sent her photographers. She didn't like any of them. We sent her more. She didn't like any of them. And she said, this is the person I really want to hire. And it was a photographer I'd never heard of or worked with before. And the reason that she wanted to hire them was because of an image on their Instagram that was of a bride in front of an incredibly colorful wall. Like, and they had a lot of color in their portfolio. It's funny how, what people are attracted to, you never can tell. Yeah, I'm curious when you go through and you think about getting back to who you're picking for referrals. And you said, I think about who's gonna be a good fit for this party, you know, we brainstorm as a team. What kind of criteria do you, you know, you mentioned budget, uh, you just mentioned style and aesthetic for the client. Um, those are two. What are some other ones that you consider? Yeah, I mean, like our top three criteria we're coming up with is number one, talent, style, right? Number two, pricing. Number three, personality, demeanor. Is it a good fit for this client? That's for something that's more personal, like hair and makeup or photography. We really think a lot about their personality. When it comes to a, a vendor partner, that we're dealing with more, then it's more important that they're a good personality fit for us than the client. And that comes down to, you know, are they easy to work with? Are they easygoing? Are they not high maintenance? Um, we'd have no tolerance for people who are high maintenance or who aren't like straight into the point and give clear communication. That's so important to us and, and give us all the information that we need. Um, right up front, spell it all out. Don't make me come back and ask you a hundred questions to pull information out of you. Do not send a planner a form. Like if I send you an inquiry and I know not all planners do this, but if I send you an, an inquiry, I will spell out for you exactly what I need, whether it's catering or photography or whatever. If you send me back a link to a form for me to fill out and give you that information again in your format for your system, I might not even respond to you. Like you're just making additional work for me and you're just showing me that you're not listening to me. Now, maybe that's a high end thing versus not. But anyway, that's that's one of my pet peeves. Quick response time is super important. Get back to us immediately. Don't make me wait. Having a really calm demeanor on site and honestly, someone who works their butt off and is passionate because that's how we operate. And it's interesting how in the life of someone's career, you can watch whether they're engaged and passionate and excited about what they're doing or they're not because some people start out one way and a few years in they get tired and they get lazy and they're not interested. And then that's, that's how you're not on my vendor list anymore because I just want people there that are so excited to be there. So that's my list. That was, that's <laughs> great. I love that. And here's one of the things that I love about you, Shannon, and why I think you and I get along so well is because we're cut from the same cloth and that we are both very direct communicators, action oriented, straight to the bottom line. We want a great result. We don't want to waste a lot of time figuring out how to get there. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of moving pieces and we, we've orchestrated and, and created a, a way for it to go forward. We want everybody to do their role to get where we need to go. Don't make it harder for me than it needs to be. We've already created a great system. And, and if, if you are that kind of planner, you are going to look for those kinds of vendors to work with you on your team. And, and, and so that's, that's what you just described. And, and I think that one of the things to, to keep in mind is that it's important for a vendor to change the way that they operate or communicate depending on who it is that they're working with. You can't change your personality, but you can certainly highlight certain parts of it. 
with the people that you are around. And so if, if you are not naturally the things that Shannon just described, but your aesthetic lines up and your price point matches the budget that somebody like Shannon has, you just have to focus on communicating and showing the things that Shannon finds important during the inquiry and the client process. And, and that's, that's not giving up who you are. That's just making sure that you're connecting with people and communicating with people in a way that's meaningful for them. And, and that's ultimately what it's about. I totally agree. And you can ask the planner what they value, who they like to work with. Like I, we tailor our services and even a little bit our demeanor based on who our clients are for every single client. It's like, this is our process, but what's going to work for you? Are you an email person? Are you a phone person? Do you want me to, to just harass you about the budget and not let you go a penny over? Or do you want me to let you go crazy and have fun? Cause you don't care. Like we ask a lot of questions with our clients about how they want this process to look. Do you respond better to lots of choices, fewer choices, and we tailor how we work around them. So you can do that with the planners you work with too, by asking those questions, I think. Yeah, it's great. And that's something that, that you and I, I get asked a lot. You don't get, you don't <laughs> I was just get, saying, asked I don't get asked that a lot. No, no, I don't. But you could, <laughs> you could and ask you that. Should. And you should. It's something that if you've heard me talk about how to sell through a planner, you know, people ask me, you know, my planner or uh, this planner just asked me for my pricing. What do I do? The first thing I always tell them is you got to ask the planner if you don't already know what kind of information they want and how do they want to present it to the client that and and because you're designing your communication strategy around what the planner wants that's always first and foremost but to know that you've got to ask them and instead of just guessing it's very simple just to reach out and say hey i want to make sure that i get this in a way that's easy for you to share that makes you look like you made a good referral and doesn't require a bunch of back and forth what are you looking for from me and how can i get that to you and by when something very straightforward and so, like you can never do that with a client who inquires just tell me exactly what it is that you want and how you want it and i'll give you the information <laughs> I, I think it's actually very easy to sell through planners because the planners cut away 90 percent of the work that needs to be done to actually sell to a client because the planner will tell you exactly what it is that needs to be done what the budget is what the personality fit means for the client what the aesthetic is they can actually articulate it and tell you what it is that they're looking for and 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 you they'll even share who who else is in the mix and how you can best differentiate yourself to stand out to the client i mean the planner is we we talk about this um there are five different behind the scenes decision makers that are making the decision you know the person who inquires initially that's the scout and then you have the banker the one who's paying for it and then you have you know other people but the, one of those roles is the coach and the coach is somebody who helps coordinate and direct what's going to happen with the purchase and oftentimes the coach or the advisor role is fulfilled by the planner and your job as the person who's trying to make the sales to go to the coach go to the advisor and say hey what do i got to do to make this work for everybody what's the playbook here How, what's my role in it what do i need to do to get to the to the to, to victory and and the planner oftentimes will just tell you exactly what it is that you need to know you just have to ask so true. I will say there is a distinction between asking the planner what they're looking for, what the budget is, and coming across as I'm going to take as much of this client's money as I can get my hands on. And I think a lot of how that comes across is truly intentionality. Like if your intentions are pure, that will come across. And if your intentions are, how can I squeeze every last penny out of this client that will come across? But I do get a lot of people who are like, you know, because we work with higher end weddings and refer higher end vendors, they're always saying, well, I don't want to price myself too low so that I look silly compared to someone who's three times as much as I am. And I think any planner who's smart is never going to put you in that position. If they're inquiring with you, chances are this client has a lower budget for this category for whatever reason, or they might come back to you and say, which I've done before you're going to look a little low here. Let's, what can we add in? How can we juice this up a little bit and make it a better experience for the clients and a little more on par pricing wise? I'll tell people that, but come with your best price in the sense of like, what's the price that's going to make you happy to do this job? Come with that price. And even if it's low, you'll be happy. And the client, you know, I, I just, 
I think rather than like, well, how much should I be for this project? Quote the price that you'd be happy to get. You won't kick yourself for either overbidding or underbidding. You won't, you know, you won't look back and go, I should have charged more. You'll be happy with the price you charge. You know what I mean? So one of the things that I hear from my clients all the time is planners tell me that I'm too cheap or how do I know if I present my price, it's going to be too much. What kind of advice do you have for vendors who are submitting pricing for say the first time to you and they want to make sure they don't look like a fool? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the too much is easy, right? Because you can always send your price and say, Hey, but I'd really love to work with you. So if I need to come in lower, let me know. That's only going to make the planner look great. Like, look, they're usually this much, but I got you this great price because they want to work with me. I love being able to do that for my clients. That makes me look so good. Um, and if it's too low, you could come and say, honestly, this is my pricing. Please let me know if this isn't in line with what anyone else is charging. Um, I'd love to find ways to provide more value and increase this price if you think I need to. You could say something to that nature. But if someone's always telling you to raise your prices, I, I, I don't, I get annoyed when people say, raise your prices, raise your prices. Look, if you're busy and you're turning work away, raise your prices. If you're not busy, don't let anyone else tell you what you should be charging. You're charging what's right for you, you know? 100%. You know, that's some of the advice that I remember when I first moved into the luxury space that I heard a lot. You know, double your rates, charge way more. Nobody's going to take you seriously if you don't charge through the roof. And, you know, there's something to that because when you're compared in a comp set, like you mentioned, you know, you're at 10,000 and everybody else is at 30,000, you're going to look like a really dumb bet. They're going to wonder what's wrong with you. You know, there's, you know, it's, a, it's called the price quality effect. Higher price, higher quality, lower price, lower quality. And especially when you're compared to, you know, apples and apples, and then you're the banana. People are like, what's the deal with that one? Let's get rid of that one. That looks different, weird. Let's just go with the, the other ones that look the same. So I do think that there's some truth to it, but it's not blanket advice that's going to be successful for everybody. If you have high prices, but nobody's booking your services, that doesn't do your business any good. If you have low prices and everybody's booking your services, that's a perfect time for you to look at raising your rates. And so I think that that's spot on. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about what it means for there to be a good personality fit. You say that they're like easy to work with. They return calls quickly or emails quickly. Just to be real clear on here, you're talking about a good personality fit, not just with the client, but also with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. But also to the client, because it makes me look good if they're responsive to the client and, and making it an easy process for the client. But certainly with me as well. I only want to work with people that I enjoy working with that are easy to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that some of the big themes that just to highlight that you've said, number one, make you look good as the planner, right? Because ultimately, you, and not because you like for your ego, but because you have committed to the client, hey, I'm going to make this easy and I'm going to create a great party and I'm going to instill confidence that we can get there at every step along the way. And so by choosing vendors, you've got to look like you made a good referral. And so that's important. Uh, don't waste your time. Time is the most valuable resource that any planner has because y'all spend a lot more time than anybody else doing anything with a wedding. And so however a vendor can make that really easy, you should absolutely do that. I think another thing is make sure that you're open and honest and candid with the planner and the conversation that you have because you know you guys are in business together you're part of the team i think that i hear from a lot of vendors who are getting referrals from planners it's it's like a golden egg just fell on their head out of the sky and they're like i don't know what to do with it what do i do with this referral i just got i'm like just reach out to the planner and just ask her what's going on or you know or email and say hey can i get two minutes on the phone to make sure that we save 30 minutes down the line. And that's something that I, I'm, I'm glad that you've brought up how important that communication is early on before things get going, because I think it saves everybody time. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I want to go back to, there's a distinction I want to make between making the planner look good and confusing the planner as your client. What I mean by that is Yes, it's wonderful if you treat me like I'm your client, but you have to put my client first above me. And some people I've worked with in the past have put the client below me, like the client satisfaction and happiness matters less than the planner satisfaction and happiness. I feel that. I feel when you're more interested in my detail shots 
or following me around on the wedding day to talk to me than being with the client. And that is not cool. That is horrible. So it's a balance, but you know, the client ultimately has to be served first for me to be happy. And then you can serve me after whatever's left over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. And it, and it is true. It is true. And you're going to pick up on that in a heartbeat. You're like, if you're here talking to me, who's doing what you should be doing with the client or for the client or whatever it may be. Yeah. So try hard, but not too, too hard. But don't lose sight or eye on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? What? I'm curious, Shannon. What are some other things that uh, are you know pet peeves or things that you know paint the vendor in a bad light that may not get them a callback for the next audition? I will say, in terms of flexibility, sometimes that does come back to your contract, and sometimes that does come back to your pricing. It's another fine line, which is like the theme of what I'm saying, but it is a fine line between. Being a business person and you have a contract and standing behind your terms because they protect you, but also just being a team player and being flexible. And if I say to you, gosh, I'm really struggling with this timeline photographer, man, it'd be great if you could get there 30 minutes early or 40 minutes early to get some of the shoe detail shots that I'm worried you won't have time for. If you're going to stick me with an hour bill on that or to the client you are within your legal right to do that. I get that. And I, I would only ask if, if I knew the client couldn't afford it and we needed that time or whatever, but if you're just going to be like, sure, I'll come early or sure. I'll stay a little late. No big deal. That goes a long way with me. So I think just like, you know, obviously I would never ask anyone to do something illegal, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, but in terms of just being flexible, you know, I'll refer you again versus making as much money as you can on this one project. And I'm like, oh, they were kind of difficult to deal with. I don't think, you know, if that's a, if that's a um, florist, if I'm like, gosh, we could really beef up this area a little bit. And you're like, let, let me figure out a way to make that happen for you. I remember that, you know? Yeah. I tell my clients a lot, don't trip over dimes to pick up pennies. You know, don't trip over that future sale with the, with the planner to get an extra 750 bucks on your hourly rate or, you know, don't get pissy with a, having to buy a vendor meal that was, you know, because you didn't get what you wanted or it wasn't considered, you know, a, a full meal for you. Like you got a box meal. Okay. Who cares? Put it on a plate and move on with your life. Like, do you really want this to be the thing that you're going to go to bat for? Like, are you going to, you really going to raise a stink because you didn't get fed well enough? Uh, or are you just going to accept that as part of the gig and, you know, you can bring it up later if you need to, or maybe you just order your own DoorDash to be delivered at the venue next time you work with this planner because you didn't raise a stink and you got hired again. Let me give you another example. And this is another photographer one. I worked with a photographer, one of the best photographers in the world, one of the most expensive photographers in the world on a project, the um, entertainment company brought some of their own photographers just to shoot their performers who were costumed for this event in the corners of the room or whatever. And this world-class photographer stormed up to me and said, I'm going to walk. There's another photographer here. First of all, there's a lot of ways to have that conversation. That was a dramatic way to have that conversation. And I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me take care of that. I remember that interaction and haven't referred that photographer since. Now, on the flip side, this past weekend, we had a wedding. The groom is a rapper and he had his own video team coming and he had a whole entourage. And it turns out his entourage also had photographers that were taking like artistic photographs. And our wedding photographer at that wedding said, what's going on? They're taking a bunch of photos. You know, what's happening here? And we said, oh my God, we're so sorry. These are a very different style. This is a totally different thing. We didn't know there'd be photographers. And she said, she kind of, you know, paused because it is uncomfortable. And she said, okay, that's okay. You know, I'll be fine. And I will totally refer her again because of her ability to be flexible in that moment. It's not like I wanted to put her in a bad situation, but she kind of rolled with it and did the best work that she could. And I don't know if you've seen on Jose Villa's Instagram, his story about photographing Paris Hilton's wedding and how many other dozens of paparazzi and other photographers were there and trying to get the shot and how hard it was. But the true professionals in this industry will roll with it and deal with it and still figure out how to do their best work rather than walking off site because of something in their contract, I think. Yeah, that's the adapt and overcome approach. And and you and I are both practical people and, and we look at, okay, like that, you're right. It sucks to have all these 
other photographers here or this entourage that's getting in the way. But it's the reality. What are we going to do about it? And you can either not accept the reality and remove yourself from the situation or you can figure out a way forward. And, you know, I think that, you know, when I was in hospitality, we learned that hospitality is a yes business and a now business. You say yes immediately and then you figure out a way to make it happen. Because ultimately, like you said, it's a guest first approach. It's a client first approach. What, what do we need to do to make the client happy, to meet their needs, exceed their needs? And, and then we design our service experience from that out. And if it becomes about us, not about the client, if it becomes about our contract and what makes us feel well fed or like we have easy access or the only access or whatever it may be that we want we lose sight of what it is that ultimately you have been hired to do, which is to solve a problem for your client, whether it's an unmet desire or an issue or concern that you're addressing, whatever it is that you're doing, you're providing a service to meet that need. And if it becomes about something other than that, the client's going to sniff it out real quick. The planner is going to sniff it out real quick. The other people that you're working with on the team are going to sniff it out. And people don't want to play with those kind of people in the sandbox. It's it's not a, it's not a collaborative team oriented approach. And frankly, humans like to be social. We like to work with other people who are like us and share the same values. And if if that value shifts from the client to you, you're going to have a really hard time finding other playmates. Let me ask a question here that goes back in case people aren't going to listen to your podcast, which I think that they should, because you and Tracy are great and have so, like between the two of you, you guys could you know, go for hours. And I'm sure, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you do and have to really edit it down because you have so much advice. 20 minute episodes. They're shorties. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I get it. It's hard sometimes to to condense it all. But if, if people want to get the shortest version of how do you make an introduction to a planner that you don't know, or that you want to do work with that you've never really met or done work with, what are the top, I don't know, one, two or three things that you would recommend to somebody so that you don't completely screw your chances at doing work with them in the future? Send an email is number one. So many vendors are like, I don't know why I'm not working with such and such planner. I'm like, oh, have you ever reached out to them? Well, no. Well, hello. Um, so first things first, send an introduction provide as much information as possible about who you are, what you do, something that makes you unique, make it short, make it sweet. Don't ask for anything, provide value. If you have value to give, if there's something that you can do like, um, Hey, I'd be happy to make you a cake for your son's birthday, whatever. I'm making that up. You know, like if there's a way you can come with a gift or a value that is an experience of your services, which to me is so much better than, um, you know, a candle or something, which is lovely, but how much more wonderful for me to get to experience what it's like to do your hair and makeup when I'm getting a photo shoot done. And then we have a whole hour together where we're connecting and I'm experiencing your service. Like I'm absolutely going to recommend you if you do that for me. And I'm only going to accept those gifts. If you're someone that I feel like I would want to work with, cause I don't have time to go around wasting my time with people who I wouldn't want to share, you know, their work or experience their work. So introduce yourself. You can provide a gift if you want, um, is definitely number one. And then, you know, social media is a great way to connect with people. That's really low hanging fruit. If you just comment and DM them, but that's typically, I'm, I'm rarely going to go and do research on someone that sends me a DM, but I might remember them when they email me or when I meet them later, it's just a nice way to connect. And then going to conferences and networking events, I think is great because I don't typically do coffees with people. I don't really have time, but if I meet them at Engage or if I meet them at a networking event, you know, it's always wonderful to have a connection person to person. Those are some good ways to reach out to planners, I think. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's interesting because, <laughs> well, hey, yeah, hey, here, everybody, let me give you Shannon's email address. It is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no. Info at Send me a note. I mean, we try to respond. We don't always, but I will flag. I was talking to a venue this morning, a friend of mine. They said, we really want to get some more high-end planners into the venues. I said, have you emailed high-end planners? And they said, well, no. And I'm like, okay, like this is easy. Send them a brochure because when a venue comes into me, I might look at it for just two seconds, but if it looks good, I put it on our list. And then when I need a venue in you know, Utah, I have that list ready to go. So reach out. That's number one. 
You know, it's 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 no different than when you are trying to attract a client. If you're a vendor who's looking to work with a planner or a venue, venues are great, not just planners, but venues that do higher volume and oftentimes at, at, at high luxury. The, the thing that you need to do is you need to create awareness, right? You need to let them know you exist and then you've got to create interest and then you've got to communicate what it is that you can do for them that will bring them value, that will help them solve a problem that they have, whether it's I need a, a paper goods provider at this price point or in this market or who is willing to or who has this style. You know, you're looking for what can you do for my clients? Not necessarily you in a direct sense, but indirectly for you. But really, it's about what can you do for my clients and how can I make it easy to understand why I should think about you versus, say, somebody else when I get that kind of inquiry from somebody. And that's that's the sale that you're trying to make. If you are a photographer, video person or hair and makeup person and you speak a different language, I would totally highlight that in your inquiry email. I have definitely had times where I've gone back and been like, I need someone who speaks Spanish for this couple. Or I need someone who speaks Mandarin for this couple. And I go back and look through my emails and we'll find someone like that's a great thing to flag that you wouldn't necessarily think is a selling point. You know, for another one that I bring up is uh, if you are in a destination location and you want to do work with planners who bring business your way, you can just be a resource. Even if it's like, I know all the best places to eat. <laughs> I know I know how to burn off steam at the end of the night. I like I will show you the best dive bar with crazy bull riding game that you can play and we will have the best time on your next site visit. Like that kind of thing could be your way in. Whereas something that you think would be like, a, a big gift or sending them a big portfolio in a leather bound case like that's not going to make nearly as much of an impact as hey i can be a value to you in other ways that people can't providing value is the best way to get a referral hands down if you can meet someone like and if a planner tells you oh you know i'm trying to break into this new market and you can introduce people to them in that market making you know making introductions is huge or just giving advice any way you can provide value for someone is then they'll feel like they owe you and they'll return the favor and if, and if you do it and to go back to your distinction of like um doing it with your interest versus their interest like it plays on a, what you just said of like you got to give to get for sure especially when you're making new friends but don't do it with the intention of giving to get you got to give without any expectation of getting otherwise the well, planner is going to totally get it. you've always given so much to everyone including me you know and finally i've engaged sam professionally after years of him providing me free advice and giving me value without asking so it's a it's a really long sell <laughs> but it's good I mean, you do that enough and you plant those seeds enough it all comes back to you i think right it, it does yeah and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and um we can maybe leave that as kind of the last thought is that uh, it does take a while it, it's not you know i tell people if you if you're looking to level up in luxury you need to start the long game now the like it's a long game to get if you want to do work with shannon or with some other high level planner and you have zero relationship with them it could be three or four years before you actually work an event but you got to put in the time the energy the effort the connection the value you got to try you got to you got to make it happen because it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to get on the radar. It's going to take a while to get a foot in the door. It's going to take a while to even get a referral. It's going to take a while to actually convince the client. And then it's going to take a while to do the event. And so I don't say that uh, to once discourage you. Do the event. If you do a good job, you'll get lots of other work. It's worth it. It sounds like nearly impossible when you put it that way, but it's 100% true. It is. It's 100% true. And it does sound overwhelming. And it is challenging, which is fine, because if you are more persistent than the other people who give up early, you will get in, right? It, at some point, it's a, it's a game of attrition. And the last person standing could be by default, the one who gets the business. And you're right too, Shannon, because you know the easiest way to book your next gig is just to get it from the client that you already have. And while you as a planner are not actually paying the bill for the services that are provided, you are what's called the feasibility buyer. You're not the economic buyer, the one who's writing the check, but you're the person who says, hey, this is a, a, a relationship that we might make work. And so I'm going to refer more business. And that is in itself an indirect sale. 
So when you go through and you think about it, you know, as a vendor who's working with planners, you're you got to be in the moment, 100% present. You got to do that job that night and amazingly well. And if you do, then it's very likely that you're going to have an easier time getting the business. So you know, don't give up the focus of showing value, of being part of the team, of making the planner look good in front of the client as far as picking you as a team member and make sure that you're always demonstrating what it is that you can do creatively to get that next gig and in a way that's going to stand out amongst the comp set. Shannon, I'm, you and I could talk for hours about this. We need another van ride. We should go on a road trip somewhere in France sometime. Which, by the way, was a stick shift through like harrowing Parisian streets in like a 14 person passenger van. And the one piece of advice I got from another planner who went to this workshop before me was never to let the French artist drive because the French artist was great at a lot of things. But but driving was the scariest most near-death experience he'd ever had so i volunteered to drive to save us all and it was terrifying <laughs> we'll never do again do not recommend <laughs> well and, and i'll tell you shannon uh uh the advice that i have for people who ride in a car with you is don't let you drive <laughs> a stick shift in a 14 passenger van in paris france <laughs> not a good idea so, so see it's just it's just being passed down why didn't we let you drive in the first well, so, place? So here's, so here's, the, here's the thing. Let me tell my perspective here. We'll see if this makes it in the final edit. So, um, so Katie and I were at this workshop and we, we were told to meet at this address. So we met at this address. We were there on the side of the road and nobody was around for like 30 minutes because, of course, everybody was late. And then it showed up and it was like a war zone. There were suitcases being thrown out, bags being moved around. And, and, and so we're all, you know, I had never met anybody on, on this, this collaborative project. And so all of a sudden Shannon shows up and I had just, I was nervous already because I, you know, you were on every who's who's list. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, don't be an idiot. And, you know, all the things that, that we're talking about, I was in that spot of that nervous guy trying to, you know, make friends with this great planner. And, and so I was like, all right, let's do this. Well, you pull up in the van. And, and, and it's like, you know, er, 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 like tired, just squealing, <laughs> the van stalling out. I'm like, what's going on here? Now, mind you, we are in this narrow road in these medieval sections of Paris and it's a one lane road and it's one way. And there is a line of cars that are now backing up behind the van. And we're there for like, no joke, 20 minutes trying to figure out a way to put all the suitcases into the van, because I think instead of two, we only got one. So we all had, we had to like, eight, you know, eight, 10 people cramming into this van where there's only five seats. I'm literally sitting on top of suitcases with suitcases that I'm holding up with both my hands so they don't fall on me. And Sh Shannon says, does anybody know how to drive a stick? Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I haven't driven one for a decade or something like that. And I, I meekly said, I know how to drive a stick. I drive one regularly back home. And you're like, you know what? I got it. We're good. And then like, we like. <laughs> Enough, I guess I didn't hear you. <laughs> we did it somehow. We made it. I'll never forget going through the Place de la Concorde, which is like nine lanes, but there's no lanes, and <laughs> everybody's pointing in different directions. And I've got suitcases falling on me because because of the way that you're driving. And somehow we make it out barely. And I I was like, I'm not a religious person, but I was doing like the sign of the cross in the back. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was happy to make it out of there alive. Anything that happened sweating. after that was, was just gravy. I was sweating in that seat, I'll tell you. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> that was the best. But, but here's the thing. It, bonds are forged in hard times and crazy times. And to put a little bow on this, as a, as a team working together, collaborating on stuff and you know, when you're at an event, whether it's a workshop that you're attending or teaching at or that you are helping to produce a party at a client celebration together, those bonds are forged when you all work together as a team. And more than anything, that's what a planner wants. They want to call on people they can trust and rely on to come through when it matters most. And they got to know that your intentions are good. They got to know that the work that you're going to do is going to be a follow through on the commitments that you've made. And if you can do those things and have fun while doing it, you're going to get callbacks. And that's why it's so hard to get on 
Shannon's or anybody's list right now is because there's a bunch of people that they've worked with that have done that. It's their spot to lose. And so if you work hard and get yourself an opportunity to get on that list, to get a chance to get in that game with everybody, make sure you're really focused on that. You haven't yet won the, 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 the longer term goal that you've set out, which is to, to continue to get business from that planner. It's a, it's a relationship, not a one-time sale. Very different than other, other wedding transactions that we take. Shannon. So speak up. You know how to drive the stick shift. <laughs> yeah. Like next right? time we do a workshop. Yeah. <laughs> that's right if you know how to do that if you know how to drive a 26 foot box truck that is a skill that could set you apart as well <laughs> shannon uh, anything else that you have before we sign off that uh, you think would be a value for the people who are listening check out our instagram shannon Leahy events and our podcast as well wedded the wedding planner podcast and i'm so grateful for all that you've done to help me and all that you do to help the community and thank you for having me thanks shannon